All right, uh, let me pull up my mo- notes and then I will be good to go. Okay, cool. I am also recording, it looks like, so we should be good. Should we get to it? Sure. Uh, my name is James. And I'm Matt. And we're talking, we're talking about, about games, games these days. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be hard to, to sync that up with the, uh, the delay, huh? Yeah, a little bit. Okay, let's uh, try this again. Okay. My name is James. And my name is Matt. And, and we're, we're talking, talking about, about games, games these days. days. <laughs> that still sounds wrong. <laughs> Ooh, I think it was it. slightly better. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, so today we are talking about Fire Emblem The Sacred Stones for the Game Boy Advance. Yeah. Um, this is actually an incredibly long-running uh, series of tactical RPGs. Uh, Fire Emblem started in 1990 um, as a fa- Famicom game. Actually, I was reading, apparently it was uh, considered a, a spin-off of the Famicom Wars series. Oh, um, that's interesting. Which is also interesting because the first uh, of those games we ever got was Advanced Wars. Yeah. Uh, also it on the Game Boy Advance. Specifically like a really because. Similar path. Yeah, specifically because Fire Emblem that got released in America was so popular. Oh, interesting. So it all yeah. just sort of came back around again. Uh huh. So, huh. Um, they, I think there was like five or six games uh, that, that were released in America for the Famicom and uh, Super Famicom. Um, mm-hmm. And the reason that we ended up getting. Uh, the series in the U.S. finally is because uh, both Marth, who's the hero of the first game, and Roy, who's the hero of, at the time, the most recently released Fire Emblem game for the Game Boy Advance, the first one, uh, mm-hmm. were incredibly popular characters in Super Smash Brothers. Okay. Um, and basically, off the back of their popularity as characters in that game, they were like, well, people like these pe- you know, these characters so much, but they don't actually have any context for them, so they decide to port the games. Uh, that said, this game doesn't actually have Marth or <laughs> no. Roy in it, so that's mm. interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, so uh, this one came out in uh, 2005. It was the last one made for the GBA before they started moving back to home consoles. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to do this one because I think it's a little bit more... Um, like user friendly, yeah. Um, the Fire Emblem series is definitely known for um, its difficulty level, um, and the the permadeath mechanic for characters kind of plays into that too. Yeah. Um, this this one is interesting, and and it draws interesting parallels. So this is the second game that we got in the West. Um, it derives a lot of its mechanics and systems. Um, from Fire Emblem Gaiden, which was the second game made in the series. Okay. Um, specifically, it's focused around two main protagonists instead of like one main character, um, mm-hmm. and and the idea of like having branching storylines uh, where you could follow one of the protagonists. Right. That's that split and reconverge. Um, also, the inclusion of an overworld map. Um, and I think divergent paths as far as promotion is concerned. Okay. Um, all, all of those things are things that were kind of introduced 
in Gaiden and never really came back until Sacred Stones. And actually, they pop up much later in the series because mm. it turns out they were pretty popular. terms of like where it stands in the uh the the sequence of tactics games um so this is 2005 Mm -hmm. uh final fantasy tactics was already out yes and like ogre tactics was out Mm -hmm. uh was did we already have advanced wars or did that come after um that's a good question i'm not exactly sure i want to say it probably came after okay um because i think the first Advanced Wars was probably released around the time that um, um, our first Fire Emblem game came out. Okay, gotcha. And uh, and again, just for just for context, uh, Donkey Kong Country Three was also released this year. Just in Weird. terms of like, I know, right? <laughs> my, uh, you know, I've I've come to realize that my understanding of like when game systems exist and when games exist is like really fragmented yeah um i think because like growing up as kids we were usually like one generation behind right even by the time we got like a playstation and a playstation 2 those were already like three or four year old consoles So, in terms of setting, yeah, uh, this is a pretty like standard uh, medieval setting, right? You've got yeah. your your sort of low tech uh, people. They use horses and melee weapons and bows and stuff, and they're mages mm-hmm. and they use magic. Um, there isn't a lot of like racial diversity, and I don't, I don't mean that in a weird like <laughs> like <laughs> PC way, like everybody's a white person, but right. just in terms of like everybody's a human except yes. for some people that are that can turn into dragons. Yes, and there are some like some monsters, but it seems like the emphasis is really not on fighting the monsters. Yeah, uh, they're really just sort of a side note. Yeah, I so think this is more just like traditional middle, medieval fantasy sort of medieval fantasy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nothing. There's no gunpowder, right? Right. Uh, story. How do you feel about the story? Um, I feel like it is a. It, it sounds like a neat idea. Like, yeah. oh, you know, you are are okay. So you have the two main characters, mm-hmm. Ephraim and Erica, mm-hmm. and wait, are they twins? Yes. Okay. That. Yep. That makes sense. <laughs> uh, and you know a situation where oh you know their beloved king has been you know deposed by a invading you know enemy state mm-hmm. and so they're off you know engaging in acts of daring guerrilla warfare <laughs> you know to try and restore their kingdom to its, uh-huh. its former glory or whatever so like that's a that's a good sort of situation for people to have adventures in mm-hmm. um, and honestly it seemed like it was really story heavy like right out the gate yeah. Uh, so I, I felt like it wanted it wanted you to get into the story, like it wanted the story to be important. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't getting that into it. Yeah, I think I think so. I think there's a really good and interesting emotional core to mm-hmm. this story. I don't think the game what it, what it kind of came off to me as is not being confident in yeah. that being able to carry the story yeah. because. 
like the time that they spend focusing on that is like good and interesting but mm-hmm. most of the game is framed around this like weird supernatural mythology about like you know 800 years ago there was a demon king and everybody hated him and right. like <laughs> um so so one of the cool things that they kind of do with this game is the way that they connect the antagonist to the protagonist mm-hmm. um so like the your kingdom is invaded by uh grotto which mm-hmm. By the way, sounds like a bad name for a kingdom, but yeah, you know, <laughs> um, which is you know ruled by a kind and benevolent person. So there's the mystery around that, mm-hmm. and then like your two protagonists are like childhood friends of the son of that kingdom. Mm-hmm. So you know you have a connection there. A lot of Ephraim's story is like, let's you know he he does the guerrilla warfare. Erica is more about like what's happening to Leon? Like, why is, you know, why is this going on? And, and the reasons like that, that they, what end up ends up happening is like, you know, Leon grew up as sort of like a soft, sensitive boy. He was always, uh, he was always, you know, like jealous of Ephraim's skill and stuff. And, you know, he could never be cool and manly. (laughs) Um, And then he also has a crush on Erica Mm -hmm. and like, then his father dies and he's presented with this situation where like he has to take over the kingdom but since he's never actually like dealt with his inadequacy issues Mm -hmm. he doesn't feel like he's able to so what he does is he you know of course researches dark magic to bring him back to life uh, but in turn gets you know possessed by the demon king right so like there's good there's good like emotional connection there Mm mm-hmm it's just like I wish I wish they had backed off of the demon king <laughs> yeah uh, like the, the the human story like the drama that you're that you're describing is all very good and having the rest of the like supernatural stuff behind it does kind of feel like it's there as just like kind of an afterthought justification like oh we need to make this a little more fantasy like it right. can't just be about human ambition and jealousy and that sort of thing yeah, and like unfortunately, so I feel like games oftentimes want you to be invested in characters like you don't have enough background on to be invested yeah. in. So like the only time that we see uh like Leon and Ephraim and Erica interacting are in like flashbacks. Mm-hmm. So we don't I mean like we have a picture of what he's like, but we don't really know like what their relationship was like. And and in the game itself, he maybe only pops up like three times before he's like the penultimate boss yeah you know that's a good point that's that's sort of a violation of that like show don't tell rule yeah right like they tell you that's what their relationship is but if they actually like it doesn't actually show itself in the story that much Mm -hmm. because by like in the in the plot of the game by the time we see him he's already like off the deep end And we really only have, like, the flashbacks and what the characters talk about to rely on. I'll be the first to admit that, like, I'm not in love with Final Fantasy VII, and I don't think (laughs) Sephiroth is the coolest, best bad guy in the world. But, like, think about, about, like, a Sephiroth character where they, they, I mean, like, the supernatural stuff does come later, but, like... There's the part where you go to Nibelheim in the past, right? Yeah. And he has that whole, like, revelation about, oh, you know, like, I'm a clone. 
Genova's not really my mother. Like everything I know is a lie yeah. and a facade. And he has that whole sort of like mental breakdown mm-hmm. without it being like I was possessed by ancient spirits. You know, it's just right. That's true. All him. I do think that one theme that they they sort of go back to over and over and over again is sort of like loyalty, mm-hmm. like who you're loyal to, whether you're comfortable with your loyalty, whether you're betraying this person to that person. Like, I feel like that comes up over and over and over again. I don't know if that's just sort of a, a staple of these kind of like medieval political war drama stories, or if it's if it really is particularly evident in this one, but... Um, I mean, like, so there's the, I don't know how much of this you saw, but there's a lot of stuff with, like, since Ephraim and Erica were, like, friends of the kingdom before, like, the top general in Grotto, like, trained Ephraim to use the lance, and, like, Mm -hmm. that character, General DeSalle, um, ends up, like, betraying his country, and Mm -hmm. they send another general after him, and, like, they have to kill each other, but it's sad because, like, DeSalle doesn't believe in in the country, and the lady doesn't really either, but she, you know, has to do what her king says. Yeah. Um, So there's a lot of that kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, I do feel like it is kind of a staple. Well, and even kind of, like, questions of personal honor and duty to your... I don't know if it does it count as patriotism, nationalism, like yeah. duty to your whatever your group that you belong to. Mm-hmm. Uh, seems like it's really. I want, do you think that's just like romanticization, romanticization, romanticization of um, of like oh you know in the old days where men were honorable <laughs> and you know as as opposed to like now where everything is so cutthroat and everyone <laughs> is just out for themselves or whatever like it could be I. I wonder if it's also, and I don't have any basis for this other than like other games, but I wonder if it's also like a like more of a Japanese cultural thing Maybe. that comes through. Because uh, I know that a lot of like games that are made in Japan do often focus around sort of like a personal morality versus, you know, a country's morality or a group's morality. Yeah, that's true. And I do think that I, I don't know. Again, I'm not sure if I really have the breadth of experience to, to come to this conclusion, but it does seem like a lot of time, even though they, they will depict characters that are that are having that struggle, it usually sort of represents the like quote unquote right choice as when they actually find a good ideology for a group that they can belong to. Like yeah. like the end point, the you know, the the payoff where they feel like, oh, they've solved the problem for themselves and everything is okay now is usually not them being true to themselves. It's usually them finding an actual good group that they can be a member of instead of like settling for the bad group or, or or privileging their own needs over the group needs. Mm -hmm. That might be a cultural thing. Maybe. Yeah. But I don't know. Um, so, I mean, the way that the story is mostly told, um, is very similar to, uh, well, actually a lot like, um, Avian Attorney, but also, you know, Vagrant Hearts, where the, the scenes are told in a, in a visual novel style. 
Um, there's no there's no real like dialogue options, right? No, like, you are kind of just watching the story scenes play out. Yeah, the I think the only choice that you're ever presented with is which character to follow when they first split off. Mm-hmm. And I suppose charitably, there are optional objectives you can complete in battles that yes. steer the story in one direction or another. Although it usually doesn't seem like it's big story decisions. The way that those work, I think, is when you're presented with, like, oftentimes you'll be given, like, villages that you could save or, like, NPCs that are under attack that you could save. Mm -hmm. Um, And those usually are just, uh, will just reward you with extra items. Or sometimes um, you get, like, optional uh, scenarios that split Mm -hmm. off from those. A lot of times, early on especially, it'll give you new characters. Yes. Uh, I didn't find the story particularly riveting. Like, mm-hmm. And I think I was talking to you uh, the other week about how a lot of times in tactics games, <laughs> I like tactics games so much. I like the gameplay, like the chess aspect of it so much yeah. that I really just kind of want to skip through the story to get to the part <laughs> I care about, you know, which is actually right. moving the units around. Uh-huh. Uh, But in this game, you do kind of have to pay attention because they will give you little cues for like, oh, you know, this character feels this way about that thing. And now that that guy's on the battlefield, chances are they could talk to them and get them to switch sides or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it does kind of, I feel like on the one hand, that's kind of a cool idea for rewarding the player for paying attention to the story and engaging with it or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, if, if you're in my position... You actually end up kind of resenting that because you, you know, just tell me that that's an extra objective and move on because I want to get to the actual game, you know? Right. Um, Well, uh, luckily, and it's not always clear, um, but luckily, usually you can tell um, enemies that you can recruit out out of um, enemy forces because they have a portrait. That's, you know, a big giveaway. (laughs) And then in a lot of the scenes... I think not all of them, um, but usually the opening scene for that map will be new character comes in. They either talk to that character that they can recruit or they talk about them. Mm -hmm. So, so like in the beginning, there's uh, the archer, right? Nemi or whatever. And she's like, Oh, I'm looking for my childhood friend. He, you know, is around here somewhere. He was captured by bandits. And then in the next map, like, Calm is there, he has a portrait, and he's right. working with the bandits. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's probably a good um, transition into gameplay mechanics. One of the things that um, I think these games kind of suffer from is an overabundance of characters. Um, And the way that they try and make up for that is with the support system, which I think is a cool idea. Um, I I don't think it works quite as well in these early games though. Yeah. Um, So the way that the support system works is when you have characters, I think, in these games, um, each character is given like um, uh, like an elemental affinity, mm-hmm. um, and characters of the same elemental affinity, if they end their turn next to each other enough times, um, 
then they get what's called a support conversation. Mm-hmm. And this is just like a small scene of characterization between those two characters. Right. Um, and it also confers a mechanical bonus for them standing next to each other uh, onwards. Right. And sometimes it's also, the, it's kind of like an optional objective alongside everything else that's happening in battle because them standing next to each other is maybe not necessarily the best tactical choice. Right. But if it encourages character growth or whatever, then... Yeah, and and that's, I mean, that's kind of how they do a lot of their characterizations for um, characters that are not main characters, Mm -hmm. which is cool, but it's really really missable, Mm -hmm. especially if you don't know that system exists in the first place. Yeah, totally. Like, I think they they kind of try and tutorialize it um, with that fight um, where you get calm because I think as soon as you recruit him, uh, Nemi can have a support conversation with him. But mm-hmm. like other than that, you're not going to come across it unless you just happen to be putting people next to each other right. that are compatible. Yeah, which is kind of a shame because um, that does it does lead to missing out on that stuff. And it really does feel like all of those extra characters... I mean, like think about other games that have huge rosters of characters like mm-hmm. Valkyrie Profile or Sukunet or... <laughs> Uh, yeah. Other games like that where you just get people nonstop and at least in Valkyrie Profile, like you actually get to play through a little story for each one. Yeah. And I guess you can end a little bit too, but mm-hmm. um, it does sort of feel like you're, you're building up this crowd of people that you mostly don't care about. Yeah. Especially because um, like since you're limited on how many units you roll out each battle you you get your main party pretty quickly or your group of Mm -hmm. people that you like to use or you want to use or whatever right Um, and then each time a new unit is introduced like yeah you're basically seeing if if they can be a replacement for one of your existing favorites right and if not Um, you kind of ignore them (laughs) uh, but i think it's good so we were i think we talked about uh difficulty a level a, Mm -hmm. a little bit um earlier in the week um this isn't a particularly hard game no um but i think it's 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 a very fair game in the sense that like i feel like the times that i was like losing a character accidentally or Mm -hmm. um or like you know making poor choices was because like i wasn't paying attention to the game or i wasn't you know checking the the range on people Right. It's not that, you know, the game has dumped 50 incredible mm-hmm. enemies, you know, in front of you. Right. It does, it is kind of fond of, like, moving in enemy reinforcements without warning sometimes. Yeah, that's true. But even that, like, you're, you're like you said, your characters are generally strong enough to handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that it had a problem with telling you the information that you needed to make informed decisions sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but even just like like one little example is uh, healers can't heal themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And so like it, that seems like such a you know you have a weapon that allows you to use a healing ability. Uh-huh. You have no reason to believe that it wouldn't work on you, except that when the time comes and you really need it to happen, you realize that it can't. Yeah. You know, so like some stuff like that was frustrating. Um, but even that, like I don't think that that really counts towards the game's difficulty per se like not at least not the difficulty as intended right that's that's more just kind of like poor design choices yeah um do you want to camp out on the battle system a little bit because it's 
it's a little bit different than most um, tactics RPGs. Mm-hmm. So, so there are definitely some novel elements that I that I liked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond, beyond just the regular, like you move all your units and do stuff, and they move all the, their units and blah blah blah. Uh, the counterattack system mm-hmm. is is pretty like that's something we're we're fairly used to seeing, or at least having like a chance to counterattack. In this one, it's yeah. usually guaranteed, uh, yeah. depending on like weapon range and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but setting up like setting up how your counterattacks happen gets really strategic sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, the the weapon that your character since like the weapons okay so there's the weapon triangle right and that sort of rock paper scissors system has a fair amount of impact in how battles go yeah so definitely. making sure that your characters are primed with the correct weapon for the situation, not only when they're attacking, but when they're set up to counterattack next turn, mm-hmm. uh, is an interesting consideration. Yeah. Um, using, I really like the idea, so you've got the rescue function, mm-hmm. where if you're standing next to someone else, you can pick them up and carry them with you. Yeah. And that, in combination with the different, like, movement ranges that different unit types get, mm-hmm. so you've got, like, the horse units, you've got the Pegasus unit, that can fly and move long distance. Right. They're super good for like jumping out into battle, picking up a guy, bringing him back, getting him healed mm-hmm. up, bringing him back to front lines, or like jumping around and getting uh, location-based uh, optional objectives. Yeah. Um, or like doing uh, one thing that I like to do, uh, do with Pegasus or the um, Dragon Knights is sort of like sending them out for like strategic strikes like especially uh later on in the game where you have enemies that have like status effect um staves that have a big wide range uh since pegasus knights generally have high resistance they can kind of just fly in there like take them out and then like get out of there that's really useful um they've got the uh we talked about the permadeath mm-hmm. which is a is sort of something that's receiving renewed interest lately yeah, definitely. Um, and I'm pretty okay with, like you said, like it usually seems fair when it happens, and uh-huh. like you can always just save scum if you really can't stand to lose your character. Yeah, um, um, I I definitely uh, played through the first uh, the first fire, not like the first fire emblem, but the first Western fire emblem um, on a on a Game Boy Advanced. Um, years and years ago and and remember like there was definitely like a lot of oh dang i have to reset now but even in that situation like the worst that happens is you're setting it back to the beginning of the battle right you know and battles usually don't run on that long no they're i would say i don't know what like 20 minutes maybe yeah so there's like a couple times where i accidentally like i got out of the battle before i had actually like i forgot to save or whatever Mm -hmm. and i go back and replay it and it didn't seem even like like critical hits and stuff seemed like they sort of stacked up the same way and like the enemy logic worked the same way i think the the critical hit um calculation there are a couple of really interesting um youtube videos on it um hmm. but if if you like 
if you save scum and retry things, mm -hmm. the way that it does those calculations aren't when you think it is. So it's not like mm -hmm. before every animation. It's like at the start of the turn or something like that. So, oh, okay. so like, you know, if you saved, moved a character to attack somebody and they didn't crit, and then mm -hmm. you reload that save and did the same thing, they're never going to crit that way. What you have to do gotcha. is like move them into a different square and then attack, mm -hmm. or, you know, stuff like that. Oh, there's also, so there's the, there's the supply uh, element to battle where yep. your, your leader character is sort of like a portal to your item stash where <laughs> yeah. he or she can hand out items that uh, that your characters that are in the battle are missing, which is useful mm -hmm. uh, because items have a limited number of uses. Yeah, they so definitely like, have durability. Yeah. Um, and because of like the weapon type weaknesses and even like th there are some weapons that are very specific counters to other mm -hmm. enemy classes yeah, uh, you you kind of it's a waste to have them with you all the time. Yeah, but in cases where those units show up and you need to take care of them, you can always swap that in. Yeah, um, and especially I find that's um, really useful for boss characters, which tend mm -hmm. to be like significantly above just sort of the the rank and file characters. Yeah, definitely. Um, that are enemies, and they do a good job of like spreading those unique uh, counter weapons out across the um, the weapon triangle. So, like, yeah. you know, there's a sword breaker spear that's specifically good against swords. Right. And then there's a spear that's specifically good against heavy armored people. And there's mm -hmm. an axe that's specifically good against heavy armored people, you know, and right. so on and so forth. Is there anything else interesting? Uh, there's there's the, the way that the class system works. Um, and actually, like, leveling up in general is kind of a little bit unique, I feel like. Uh, so the, the way it works is every time you level up, each character has a percentage of raising a stat point one point. Um, so each time it'll roll on those percentages and you get increase in points based on that, which is kind of cool because that means, like, each playthrough is kind of slightly different you know yeah. you might get really good growth one direction and not the other one time um, and then once they hit level 10 uh, if you have the corresponding item that allows them to promote um, then you can uh, change their class um, into one of two choices right the other thing that you can do is instead of capping them at level 10 um, that characters actually level cap at 20 Mm -hmm. um, so if you don't have the right item or possibly if you want, you know, slightly higher stats, you can keep right. on leveling them and wait till level 20 to promote them. Uh, which I recognize that system from Pokemon. <laughs> like where you could choose, oh, you don't want to evolve the guy yet. You want to still have him learn like this one ability in a couple right. levels and then let him evolve. So the big, the big difference in this one versus ones that came before it is those ones are just a set of missions. Mm -hmm. And if you, you know, if one character falls behind your party, 
uh, in right. levels, like they're not going to get a chance to catch back up. You just have to keep going. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in this game, like, you know, if somebody's a little bit behind, you can run around and hit some random battles or you can level them up in the tower. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which which is kind of a, a problem that games that have individual unit XP gain based on action uh, mm-hmm. kind of suffer from. Uh, yeah. It, like, so I noticed in this game, um, how do you ever, how do you ever get any experience for your healer unit? Like <laughs> you just they, have they to, do so little. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate. Um, and I think I want to say that's based on the staff they're using. Yeah. As strange as that sounds, so like uh, low, like the you know cure staff only gives you ten XP, whereas the right. next step up gives you like twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think special um, like status effects staffs also give you more XP. Mm-hmm. But you basically just have to like stick a cleric behind a character and follow them around yeah. and heal them even when it's not necessary, which yeah. is too bad. It is too bad. Well, and especially considering too, your staffs have durability. Right. So you are really just wasting money throwing it at this guy to get him to mm-hmm. level up. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I did notice... So there are, there are uh, some maps where you don't have to kill all the enemies necessarily. You don't have to kill a particular enemy necessarily. You have to move your leader character <laughs> to a tile and right. it. You seize the throw. Yes, seize yeah, yeah, something. Yeah. Uh, and on those maps, you can basically waste a bunch of time at the end having mm-hmm. uh, your healers just use all their healing abilities over and over again yeah, uh, before you finally choose to end the map. Uh-huh. Uh, and in sort of in the same way, it's, there's there's some maps that, like we said, have optional villages that you can visit or like buildings you can get into and you'll get a little bonus. Uh, so sometimes you don't really have to race to do those. You right. can just wait until the end and then not end the map and go back and recollect like the chests or whatever that you've mm-hmm. left sitting around. Yeah, so that's interesting. You can have uh, you can have your character conversations between playable characters that way too. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I think uh, uh, there's another uh, major uh, strategy, which is um, uh, there are certain buildings that appear on maps called arenas, and they basically mm-hmm. roll up random fights for you um, to based on I think your level range they'll give you a random like enemy to fight and you Mm -hmm. basically just take turns whacking each other until somebody dies um you can grind money that way really easily but it's Mm -hmm. also a really good way to like level up a character and a healer yeah um so you just have them go in fight a fight and then have the cleric heal them and just do that over Mm -hmm. and over again yeah uh which is again like kind of an obnoxious process but is there Um, and then this one is specifically different because it has the branching promotions Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of these um, don't they're not super unique a lot of them articulate this the uh, similar way so usually it's um, do you want to become more specialized as your class type of character? So like as a mage, do you want to be a better mage or mm-hmm. do you want to be a mage that maybe also has access to a different type of magic or right. maybe has a secondary ability? 
Yeah, so it's like specialization versus kind of like hybridization or, or yeah, yeah, a tighter focus or a broader focus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's something like uh, that. That reminded me of like Dragon Age was the mm-hmm. most recent one, and that also means that if you replay the game, you can take guys in different directions, and it'll have an impact. Yeah, definitely. Um, how how do you feel about like the the controls, like the interface? I think it works pretty well. Um, I feel like. It actually, um, for its time, probably gives you a little bit more information than most tactical RPGs did. Well, I guess I most know most about that. Most games give you a movement range, right? Yeah, well, okay. like a movement and an attack range, sort of overlaid or whatever. Yeah, that's uh, I true. Was kinda, I kind of missed the approach that uh, that what was the one who just played Vandal Hearts? Mm-hmm. Um, Vandal Hearts Two did, where it gave you. A overlay that included every unit's capabilities. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that was um, actually a really neat sort of innovative thing that it used. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually gets better in the series later on in the game. You can uh, like sticky uh, people's certain units' ranges. Oh yeah. Um, so like it'll adjust as those units move, and oh. you'll always be able to see that, and you can like toggle it on and off, which that, is cool. That's pretty cool. Um, this game definitely deals in uh, like different terrains, mm-hmm. um, and all of that information is given to you. So like, yeah. forests give you actually extra evasion, or like you know forts give you extra evasion and heal you a little bit, um, and right. it'll tell you that if you hover your cursor over it. Um, yeah. Also, you can pull up a full stat uh, spread for any of the units that are on the field, mm-hmm. uh, player and enemy which is cool. It'll tell you what weapons that they have access to. Mm-hmm. And also, um, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but um, it'll actually show you if that character can drop an item, too. Oh, I did not notice that. Yeah, um, if you look at their uh, uh, inventory uh, items that are, like, glowing green mm-hmm. uh, will drop when, when you kill them. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. What, d- does it show which item they're going to use to counterattack with? Is it no, just the first one on the list, maybe? I think it's whatever they're currently equipped with. Right. So, like, whatever's at the top. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And I did notice that in, in your character's cases, the, the last weapon that you use is the one that you will use to counterattack with. Yeah. Or, if you haven't used a weapon, you can explicitly equip one yes. uh, before the end of your turn. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, uh, actually, speaking of that, uh, how did you feel about the whole equip and item trading and supply and shop system? Um, I I don't think it's bad. I I feel... So here's an interesting thing that I, I was thinking about when I was typing my notes. Mm-hmm. Is I think that system actually works a lot better in a in a different game uh, in yeah. other, other Fire Emblem games versus specifically this one. Mm-hmm. So... In this one, um, the scarcity of resources isn't important because you okay. all because there isn't right. You always have access to stores. You always potentially have access to money. Um, so those things, like re-upping your equipment, isn't like a risk reward anymore. It's just a thing you have to do. Yeah, it's kind of just um, a keep. Versus, like in a game 
where you don't have those pit stops and the only time you're going to be getting new items is if they drop off of enemies or if you buy them at the store, then you're making like a calculated choice. Um, same, same kind of thing with the durability system, actually. Like in, in this game, like sure, there are unique items like unique special items and you do have to be careful about how you use those yeah. but you're like normal your iron silver whatever um like you're basically just using them until they're gone and then you run back to the store and you get more and then you move on and keep using them mm-hmm. you know and then you roll out the special items for specific battles right uh i I actually, I don't know, I thought the system of trading items and doing shops and stuff was bad. Uh, I felt like it was it was really... There was a lot of times where you wanted to per- perform a function that felt like it should have been available in your current view, and mm-hmm. it just wasn't. Um, yeah. There, so, for instance, uh, you know, your characters can only carry, what is it, six items with them, maybe? Yeah, I think so. Um, and, you know, naturally, you would think that you'd want to put those in a certain order. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no function for sorting stuff that people mm-hmm. are carrying. And yeah. how do you think you manually reorder them? Uh, by going into the inventory screen? Uh, or... no. <laughs> oh, Okay. Uh, well, I don't know. As far as I could tell, the only way you could do it is if you set up that character to trade items with another character. Oh, sure. And then you would say, I want to trade this sword, and it would move the cursor over to their inventory. You'd mm-hmm. have to manually move it back to yours to trade your sword with a different slot for yourself. Yeah. And you had to do that individually every time for every character that you wanted to sort through stuff. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't know, was tedious. Yeah, that is pretty tedious. Um... I was also really annoyed that there was no like weapon compare like weapon or item comparison function mm, in the like, sh- in the shop view specifically. Yeah, well, or yeah. even if you were equipping stuff out of your supply or trading them, like mm. all that stuff mattered, and you you didn't have any access to that information except if you manually looked at this one and remembered right. all the information yourself, and then manually looked at the other one, and then like it made you do it yourself. Yeah. And that's I don't true. know if that's, is that a fair expectation on my part? Like, had we gotten to a point in, like, RPG <laughs> tech where um, people knew that that, I, I feel like it had to be a feature that people knew about, right? It's definitely a thing that existed. I don't know if it was a common thing, because, like, even even these days, well, I don't know. I don't really keep up with JRPGs nearly <laughs> as much as I used to, but, um, like, I feel like it took us a really long time to get to the point where like being able to equip things in a shop menu was like mm-hmm. normal or yeah. like the, you know, when you get the, um, like the, the fitting room function in final fantasy yeah. tactics, like right. that's not even a thing that's always there. That's true. Um, the ability to like sell things immediately when you switch out mm-hmm. equipment, like, Right, or yeah, or even when you when you buy new equipment that won't fit in your character's current configuration, you can you can just send it to your supply and then right. you know, trade items with it out of there. But why do that when, like you said, you could just go through and say, oh, I could compare it to this one, this one, or that one, I can replace that one and send the other one to my supply, or sell it immediately, or right. whatever. Yeah. Or give it to another character, since that's, that's an important consideration, too. Mm-hmm. Um... I also think that it didn't always do a good job of telling you who could use what item and why. 
So there would be a few times when I would get a new weapon in battle and yeah. try to hand it off to another character that seemed like they would be better able to use it. And it wouldn't tell me until it was in the other character's inventory that, that they could true. use it. Well, and there, so I don't think there's any way to tell that in game. There is. It's, okay. it's <laughs> one of those um, things that the game doesn't really explain um, is each character has a weapon proficiency level. Um, okay. And um, each item has a required proficiency to use it. Oh. Um, if you pull up, like if you hit select while you're hovering over an item, it'll give you the like list of stats. Mm -hmm. And I think next to the name, it has like an A, B, C, D uh, rating. And oh, what yes. that is, is the proficiency required oh. to use it. I thought that was just like how good of a sword it was. Or <laughs> I mean, kind of. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, but again, like it, it makes you do that yourself. It yeah. doesn't give you the, the little, oh, you can use this or you can't use this. Right. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. There are a couple mm -hmm. of hidden systems that work in the background that the game doesn't really explain to you. Like there's a thing with weapon weight that it doesn't really each each weapon has a like a specific amount that it weighs and that affects your character's like speed dependent on their constitution or something. Oh, wow. Like it's it's all weird like background <laughs> calculation. Right. Um, that happens that it, it gives you the information but no context of what to do with it. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of unfortunate. I feel like Diablo maybe was one of the first games where I, I really saw good comparisons of stats and like what effect this equipment or this ability will have on your overall stats and why, like what that formula is that leads to the changing numbers. Yeah. Uh, I feel what, like what, Diablo came out before this game. Definitely. Well, or at least like Diablo 2 maybe. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. <laughs> one of the nice things about uh, Blizzard that I found is they're really good about like uh, hover over um, like tooltips. Yes. So almost like, especially in Diablo 3, like anytime you have a weapon that gives you a list of like increases or decreases, I think you can always like hover over them and it'll say like this goes up because you're losing this or, you know, this goes down because yes. this weapon, you know, doesn't give you as much dexterity as the weapon you currently have. Yeah, totally. Uh, Diablo 2 definitely came out about five years before this game. Okay. And even like Borderlands. No, Borderlands was after. Because Borderlands followed a very Diablo like definitely. thing for that. Uh, Borderlands and Diablo 3 both came out four years after this game. Okay. According to the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I guess, yes, it's, it's possible that all that information is kind of squirreled away somewhere. But I don't think it does a very good job of making it accessible yeah. to the player. Especially like especially in cases like this where you're playing on a computer. Like one of its main things it should be able to do to improve the user experience is to do those calculations and comparisons for you because that's that's what it's good at, you know? Right. Uh, and to not have that feature in there is just kind of disappointing. It's it's kinda like not using the medium to its its fullest potential in this well, case, and I guess. One of the things that I think is kind of a mistake of this game, I don't quite remember how the other games handle it, 
is if you choose a difficulty that's not easy, it mm-hmm. won't give you any tutorial messages whatsoever. Oh. Um, it, it tells you it tells you that you can open up the manual section and read about stuff. Mm-hmm. But like in, in easy mode, like that whole first section with like you and Seth and then like a couple of maps later, yeah. that that's all tutorialed out. So like, mm-hmm. you know, at the start of the turn, it'll say, oh, hey, like, you know, Erica has a rapier. That's good against, you know, infantry. axes, like infantry, stuff like that. You yeah. know, it'll explain all of that stuff for you. Okay. Uh, but only if you're playing it through in easy mode, which I uh, I I don't ever like coming into a game for the first time. I would expect that normal would be the the default difficulty. Yeah. So I wouldn't think of stepping into something and starting out at easy. Yeah, no, I I agree. To its credit, I suppose, it does include that guide section. Yeah. It does have fairly exhaustive, like, information. Um, But I also feel like that's a little bit of a cop-out. Like, like that should be a reference to remind yourself of something that the game has already taught you. It shouldn't be, like, required reading in order to play the game, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like, like, Civilization is maybe the only game that can get away (laughs) with having that sort of exhaustive, like research reference material that that you need to have (laughs) so let's see speaking of the difficulty curve Mm -hmm. um i found myself i i found myself getting really frustrated with having seth in my party (laughs) um because he is incredibly strong yeah uh like to the point where i felt like it was actually really underlining a few of the ways in which the battle system and like the enemy ai is really poorly put together mm-hmm. uh, because in a lot of cases he would always do a lot of damage regardless of if it was the right weapon type or not. Yeah. Uh, t- t- to the point where like units that clearly were supposed to be challenging would, would like walk up and hit him and do like one damage or miss completely. Uh-huh. And then he would counterattack, hit them twice and kill them. And, yeah. and it was just like, like, I think what I probably should have done was just not included him in my party. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was like having him in the game was like, uh, it, was, it was just like having like one single really overpowered weapon while everyone else is using. It's like, it's like having like a, I don't know, like a machine gun. Everyone else has sticks. And you're like, <laughs> well, I guess I could use the sticks like everybody else, but also I have this gun and I could just always win with it. Uh-huh. You know? um, I mean, I think it's supposed to be kind of a trap. Yeah. Um, like I, if you let Seth win every map for you, then you're not going to be pro- able to progress. Yeah, I think that's fair. Well, and he definitely like he's sort of a uh, an XP suck for everyone else. Like yeah. they could be getting lots of experience by doing this, and he barely levels up at all. Right, like guest characters um, mm-hmm. in in previous tactical RPGs that we've talked about, like. They don't, I mean, like, he'll stay in your party, so that's fine, but he doesn't right. benefit nearly as much as your other characters will. Right. And since he starts promoted, he doesn't have the potential of growth mm-hmm. that your other characters do. I, I Yeah, I, I kind of would have preferred it if he had been a guest character. He yeah. was just there to help you in the tutorial in the beginning, and then he's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm on my way now. You'll have to work or- on... Uh, he this dies, guy, if you want to get you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, I felt that way with um, 
there's an equivalent character, Orson, I think, uh, who's same deal, like just incredibly strong. He's another paladin class character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, just like he carries the, the battle that, that one where they, uh, so at some point you switch from following Erica for a second and see where the brother is at Ephraim uh-huh. and he's storming a castle that has <laughs> like, you know, 15 units and it's just uh-huh. him and his three buddies. Yeah. And it seems impossible from the outset until you realize that Orson is unstoppable and you just need to send him ahead to kill everybody. Well, if it makes you feel better, Orson is revealed to be a traitor later and you have I to kill that. him. <laughs> I was I was really wondering like which of his three would be would turn out to be the traitor. And I think it like it had to be Orson. Right. Because he has the least personality. Yeah, well yeah, there's that too. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I don't know. That's that's definitely not the approach that I would have used, I guess. Yeah. Um, I didn't think that it was particularly fun having him in the game the whole time. So yeah, maybe I should have just I should have just stopped taking him with me in battles. <laughs> yeah. Well, it might be it might be sort of like a oh, like a like a secondary like difficulty slider kind of idea. Yeah. You know, um, if you find that you're having particular trouble on an early map you know you can mm-hmm. bring him in and just sort of like get past it right and i you know i think that that's a good way to justify it after the fact but <laughs> it's i mean the point remains that basically the game does not do anything to address that right like, yeah it doesn't tell you that it doesn't really explain why this is happening you know uh-huh and so, you know, know i mean if you ever want to like <laughs> dive into the fire emblem wiki like this is this is a, a lot of these games are sort of mired in this like sort of traditional setup so like mm. that the early strong promoted character mm-hmm. archetype is something that's been happening like since the beginning of the series yeah so who knows if mm-hmm. you know maybe they just felt like that was you know you have to have that character in the game or if they actually like felt like it was an interesting yeah uh, you know decision to be making right can we can we look at the uh the different like rock paper scissor triangles that oh, exist. Oh sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there's one that is weapon classes. That's mm-hmm. swords versus axes versus lances. Yep. Uh, I wasn't really sure. Like, <laughs> does that make sense? <laughs> no. Well, I mean, I don't know. Right. I like don't. our our axes. If, if someone, <laughs> if there's a knight charging at you with a lance or like a spear, is an axe really your best? Like answer to that? I don't think so. <laughs> I feel um, like shields or something might have been a better spears, choice. Spears, spears and swords make sense, and yeah. maybe you could make the argument for swords and axes. Maybe uh, axes <laughs> and spears. Yeah, I feel I like mean, they kind of just needed to tie it up at the end. It didn't yeah. really. <laughs> uh, and on a related note, there's magic. So there's mm-hmm. light versus dark versus anima. Yeah. Uh, Would you like to know some trivia about that? Yeah, I would love to. Uh, So dark is is what they called it for the the English release. Mm -hmm. But the Japanese word is elder. Oh, interesting. And anima is actually called reason. Really? Yeah. So it's really light versus elder versus reason. 
interesting. I don't know if that actually makes it make any more sense, but it's it's interesting. <laughs> well, I mean that that kind of ties in dark magic. I mean, like he's the demon king, so obviously, like dark yeah. magic is his shit. But like elder magic gives it a more sort of like Lovecraft yeah. feel, which right. is kind of cool. And like there are, did you run into the like weird tentacle eyes? Yes. That are enemies. So those are kind of like Lovecrafty guys. That's true. Um, so then, so then your setup, your your magic triangle is <laughs> like right. logic right. is good against religion. Religion right. is good, good against, against elder gods, right. and elder gods are good against right. logic, right. which and does actually make more sense. That's true. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, and then there's the elemental triangle uh-huh which is thunder is stronger than fire is stronger than wind yeah and that one's a little bit weird because like uh, thunder is one of those things that i i think there's got to be just some sort of consistent translation error that people are making from whatever the japanese concept lightning. of thunder is yeah well or <laughs> is it like it's so thunder is stronger than water would make sense if like or no, sorry, thunder is stronger than fire. Uh-huh. So, like, if thunder is, like, water, like a thunderstorm, like it's raining a lot and that's water, uh-huh. that would make sense for beating fire. But yeah. if that's true, then you've got, uh, oh, well, maybe that would work, actually. Fire is stronger than wind. I don't know about that, necessarily. <laughs> yeah, because wind, I mean, wind would increase fire, potentially? Yeah, maybe, yeah. Okay, so, like... Wind stokes fire, so that makes fire stronger than wind. <laughs> and then wind is stronger than thunder. Because it blows clouds it blows away. Clouds away. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, I like it. Never mind. I, I take back any objections I had. <laughs> well, and then also, um, I don't know if it's in this game or later games, but wind magic also secondarily is good against flying units, I think. Oh, okay. Um and then there's the whole, like, so flying units are weak against bows. Right. Um, and then there's, like, a specifically, like, armored unit class mm-hmm. that's weak against specific items. Right. And, like, a mounted, like, a cavalier class yeah. that's weak against specific items, too. Yeah, there's a lot of little little systems like that at work. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not sure that I appreciate that many levels of complexity. <laughs> uh, I, I really, I got to admit, like, I, I kind of miss, like, Cardia, like, mm. where it's just, it's just rock, paper, scissors, and yeah. uh, your weapon type, depending on your elevation. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, all you have to worry about. Because uh, there's a, there's definitely a few times where I would have matchups where I'd be like, I thought, like, I thought I was going to do a bunch of damage there, but for some reason I didn't. Oh, mm-hmm. it's because, it's yeah, it's because of this thing that, so I don't know, it's. Again, not having those uh, always represented very clearly in, in yeah. like a way that makes like the game doesn't make a lot of that information accessible in an easily digestible format before That's you true. make a decision. So I don't know. Maybe it would have worked better if, if it was just easier to tell on each action, like what would be the best. Yeah. Um I mean, like, I think they do a good job visually representing it. Like, the heavily armored units look heavily oh, yeah. armored. Obviously, you know, all of the mounted units are on horses. Yeah. Um, just the way that that system interacts isn't usually explained yeah. to you. Um, one of the things that I will note, and 
this is a, a point in its favor, but also kind of more to your point, um, is on almost all of the menu screens or stat screens or item screens, you can hit select and it'll pull That's up true. a little like tip for anything that you've selected. Right. So all of the information is there. It's just not presented in a very like digestible way. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Let's let's talk about graphics. graphics oh yeah they're so good oh that's um, interesting i disagree really, really? <laughs> i mean so like the portraiture is pretty basic it's yeah. not too interesting um the 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 overworld maps or just the maps in general aren't like super detailed but they are clear enough that you you know you know what you're looking at yeah i think the battle sprites are really good oh I think a lot of the battle animation was, like, disappointingly lazy. Really? Yeah. <laughs> How weird. Well, like, weapons don't change in the battle animations. So, For the most part, yeah. At least as far as I could tell. Like, if you have, like, the weakest lance or the strongest lance, uh, or stuff like, I don't know, Franz's, like, javelin toss animation... The, yeah, it's like the, three the, frames. It's like him, <laughs> his arm up, and then his arm is down, and the javelin is in the enemy. Like that's sure, all there is. Sure, those ones are are a little bit less, but like I don't know the the like the attack like Erica's attack animation, for instance, where she yeah. like hops up with a thrust and then hops back, right. like that that looks really good. Um, and they're like I don't know, like just the way that they the fluidity that it moves with looks nice um one of my favorites is the 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 armored knight mm -hmm. animation attack because he like uh he like steps forward and then his chest piece pulls out and becomes a, a shield and like he stabs and then like steps back and it goes back in right like that's so cool looking or uh what I think where the game really shines is the critical hit animations. Yeah. Because they true. are specifically supposed to be like really flashy and nice looking. Right. Well, and that, that is cool. I just, I, it's not even necessarily the style that I dislike because the, the things that are done well, I appreciate. I just feel like equal consideration wasn't given mm. to lots of different animations. There's that like, it, yeah, it's cool that like, Again, Seth, because he's just the guy I was attacking with all the time. Like, he does the little, like, horse charging in place for a second and then dashes forward for his critical. Um, but for every animation like that, you have, like, the heal magic animation, which looks like it was done in RPG Maker. Yeah. Or, like, the, uh, the, the, what happens when you attack someone with a ballista? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. There's no animation for it. You know, like, it just, it feels really like they got a good start. And decided, like, oh, we're going to make some of this stuff look really cool. And then they looked up and were like, oh, shit, we have to release a game in, like, two months. We need to really, like, focus on other things <laughs> now, you know? And kind of just, like, left the rest of it. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. That's it's not, it's not that I necessarily dislike the ones that are good. It's more that I just feel let down that they didn't continue that through to all the rest of the, 
the ones that could have been good. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I can see that. The graphics for this game ended up coming off just kind of as generic. Mm. Like, like I mentioned RPG Maker, and I realized that that's kind of unfair from this perspective, <laughs> like putting the cart before the horse, because it's probably the other way around. Right. That RPG Maker used a lot of the same sort of sensibilities for portrait design and for battle animations and stuff that had come out of that generation of RPGs. Yeah. But on the other hand, think about... So I did a little bit of looking up stuff. Uh, other best-in-class graphics games on the Game Boy Advance. Mm-hmm. You had, like, Metroid Fusion. Sure. You had Advance Wars 2. Mm-hmm. Or, like, Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. Or, like, Castlevania Aria of Sorrow. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think this game comes anywhere close to any of those. I don't know. Like, it wasn't taking advantage of the system that it was being played on. Yeah. Uh, think of all the cool, like, stretchy and, like, transparency effects that you see in, like, Metroid Fusion or in Castlevania. Yeah, that's true. Like, there's there's just a lot of, like, missed opportunity to make it look better. Hmm. Okay. And it definitely, like, it looked good enough. You know, it didn't look, like, ugly or anything. Yeah. It just didn't look that great. Hmm. And I wanted it to be great. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, like... <clears throat> Metroid and Castlevania definitely are like sort of high points for uh, graphics as far as the series go. I don't know. I think, I think what it does, I, and and I think you're, I, I I can see the point that it's not consistently good. Yeah. Um, I think what it does with its uh, approach to graphics looks better on the Game Boy Advance than, uh, than like Final Fantasy Tactics two mm-hmm. or or tactics advanced or yeah. like ogre tactics where you're oh, trying yeah, to uh render like th- like fake 3d like 2.5d sprites um in a in a system that doesn't really do well with that so i mean like i i, I appreciate their sort of traditional 2d approach i think that ends up looking better um and yep. I don't know, like, in all fairness, maybe if I went back to Final Fantasy Tactics Advance now, I would not be, I would not like the graphics as much now as I did then. I feel it's like possible. the animations in those games are a lot more limited. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not nearly as, I don't know, interesting looking. Yeah. Uh, okay. What about music? is pretty unremarkable in this game yeah. unfortunately uh it was composed by hoshiko hoshi hoshi hoko kitamura <laughs> uh-huh. uh saki haruyama yep. and yoshido hirano yep um and it's pretty un unforgettable it's pretty forgettable yeah i agree like it's it's sufficient yeah. I mean, it's, it's okay that it's there, but honestly, most of the time, I just ended up turning off the sound and listening to something else. Yeah, and honestly, like, I think that's... And maybe I'm speaking out of turn, uh, but I think that's kind of a failing on the, the Game Boy Advance. Um, I don't... I mean, like, obviously, the you know, the composition isn't... Yeah. You know, it doesn't change from system to system, but... Um, I, I think specifically the Game Boy Advance doesn't have that great of a sound chip. 
Yeah. Or or if it does, it's the kind of thing where it has to be well utilized mm -hmm. to make things sound good. So right. like your 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 big developers and your first party like Nintendo games like have good music, like your Zeldas and your Castlevanias. Uh, sure. Um, but like I think what it is is it's it's not something like a Nintendo where it's so limited that like anything that sounds good feels like like creativity or like innovation, <laughs> yeah. right? But it's not as like fully featured as the Super Nintendo, so like you don't get a lot of the ability to you know put effects on uh, instrument sounds or you yeah. know the the palette isn't as uh, wide. Yeah, it could it could really just be a limitation of the medium. And plus, like since I don't think either of us had a lot of experience with GBA mm -mm. games, uh, I just I just haven't played enough to really know what a reasonable comparison is. Like, like what is a Game Boy Advance game with really particularly good music? I mean, I think Aria of Sorrow has a pretty good soundtrack. That's true. Um, I think there was a Zelda. Oh, it was um, Minish Cap. Minish um, Cap, yeah. Yeah, I think well, that like has Donkey a pretty Kong good country. That's sure. Yeah, that's got pretty good music. Mm -hmm. But again, like, would it have been better on the Super Nintendo? Yes, Probably. I think so. <laughs> because, like, I mean, like with the Super Nintendo, um, one of the big things that I, I notice with music on that is the ability to like put reverb on things, or you know, like that sort of production aspect that. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't really see coming through on Game Boy Advance music as much. Yeah, or certainly wasn't. If if there was a way to sort of hack it in, they weren't doing it here. Yeah, um, definitely would not listen to this music outside no. of outside of the game. So. For our, our evaluation of the game, I gotta be honest, I didn't like it that much. <laughs> I really, okay. I, it felt like a little bit of a chore. Uh, I think it specifically, I I could see some of the things it was trying to do and failing to do, like yeah. poor, poorly implemented stuff would just get like disappointing or frustrating for me. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it, it had a couple of like, well, more than a couple, like cool, innovative ideas. Mm -hmm. But since just like the basics of it, I feel like so for a tactics game, you uh, th the entire thing about it is you're supposed to have really good information that you're working with that you right. can then make sort of a brilliant move based on the conditions that you see in the game. Mm -hmm. And I don't think this game does a good job of showing you what those conditions are. Yeah, uh, at least to a to a level of convenience that I'm used to now from modern mm -hmm. games, certainly, and maybe not even a level of convenience that, like, games previous to this one had shown you. Yeah, Which that is a little frustrating. It's, it just feels like it's not as good as it could have been, and mm -hmm. it's not even like the lessons weren't there for them to look at to make it better. Yeah. Which, to me, suggests that it was a little bit lazy, or it was a little bit rushed, or maybe right. the, the production was a little bit like amateurish kind of yeah uh which is kind of a letdown 
Yeah, I mean, I, it, for me, like, I have a lot of um, goodwill with the series built up over years, so it's a little bit hard to uh, separate myself from the nostalgia of it, uh, specifically because I remember, like, really, really being into Final Fantasy Tactics, and after, yeah. like, I had, you know, gotten every last morsel <laughs> of enjoyment out of that game, like, good playable uh, tactical RPGs aren't something we really get a lot of in the West. No, that's totally um, true. Traditionally have not been very high-selling uh, games in America for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, I was just like looking for anything else. I don't have the same issues with it that you do, but I think that's specifically because I'm already like grandfathered into the series. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I've been playing these games so long right. and I started playing them at a time when like I had the ability to just like bash my head against something until <laughs> I figured it out, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, I think the weapon triangle is a good idea. I think that's solid. Um, I don't actually have ish any issue with permadeath in this yeah. game. No, um, I, th I think that's good. I think the world map is a good idea, and having grinding being optional is a good idea. Um, I think maybe they they it gets better refined later on in the series. Yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> is there? Do you feel like there's any sort of like other high points for you? Um, no, not particularly. Honestly, like, there, there's a lot of things that, that I felt like I saw could be a good idea or, or like, would be a good idea if they were better executed or, or I'd seen done better in another game. Mm. So I don't know. Honestly, nothing... I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily tell someone to play this game. Like, I would say there's definitely strictly better tactics games yeah even better tactics games in that kind of a fantasy setting yeah that i would always refer to people to play those first i might not refer them this game maybe one of the later games where things feel a little bit more uh polished and well put together yeah but it's good to see where it started like for where u.s audiences would have first been exposed to this sort of realm of yeah tactics game. and you know for as much as we're we're talking about how like far behind the current curve it is it is kind of interesting to go back like to the first game and see how like solidly a tactical rpg that game is yeah you know because i mean like if you think about it i mean i know that like war games and strategy games were things on pcs for a really long time you know before this and that kind mm -hmm. of influenced how these game you know tactical rpgs got started on consoles but like right. fire emblem has to be like if not the uh sort of grandfather at least one of the very early examples mm -hmm. of what a tactical role-playing RPG would be on a console. Uh, all right. Uh, what what is the Fire Emblem? Oh God, you yeah. Might ask. <laughs> uh, so it's this. This is one sort of like Chrono Cross, right? Like, right. The Fire Emblem is a in-game item that is different things in different games. Yeah, it's it's basically the the magical plot MacGuffin for mm -hmm. each particular game. Um, in this one, it, it, it refers to 
the uh, sacred stone that specifically held the Demon King's soul. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of which, the sacred stones are also powerful in-game artifacts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is basically... This is... The, the, <laughs> they call the, the, the title Fire Emblem like, Fire Emblem. It's yeah, right? The specific kind of generic thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's an okay name. Yeah. I, I think that's a good title. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, it, it gives you everything you need to know about the game, right? Like, it is yeah. part of the Fire Emblem series, and specifically right. this game revolves around Sacred Stones. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like I've probably already gone over most of my, my gripes that would fit under Room for Improvement. Yeah. Um, I think the big one for me, especially on replay, uh, was seeing how seeing like the seeds of an interesting story that mm-hmm. was just not really followed through on and how unfortunate that is yeah oh and the one other thing that i run, ran into that just infuriated me uh was okay so like you said you can you can get special items that under certain conditions you can use to level up your or to to change your character's class uh-huh. to steer their class progression in a direction right yeah uh there are enemy thief units oh yeah and they can steal items from you mm-hmm. and when you kill them you don't get the items back oh what yeah really yeah oh so i, I in the in the like the what the battle where you and your brother were the the brother and sister are both storming the castle together one of my characters was carrying the like knight's crest or whatever. Yeah. And uh thief took it and then it was gone. It was just it. Oh weird. I know. <laughs> well, so that's strange because in in other maps they'll throw in like enemy thieves that basically just make a beeline to treasure chests and then leave. Uh, right. but if they open the treasure chest and you kill them before they leave, they'll drop what the, they got out of the chest. Yeah. Weird. Huh. I know. <laughs> That's very strange. Seems like oversight. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think that's that's about it. All right. Well, uh, do I is it is it my turn next? It is your turn next. Okay. So next for the the modern game, mm-hmm. I want to play that Vanishing of Ethan Carter. Yeah, game. that should be interesting because I don't. I other than I am familiar with the name, I don't really know. Is it a walking like a walking simulator kind of deal? I think so. With with like a little bit of like detective work. The little like clip that I saw that looked really good. Um, I guess they they released one version of it and then they put out a new version done with a new ver- uh, new. Um, what Unreal Engine or something? Oh, okay. I forget what they're using for the the graphics, but they they did a redo of it using the the better graphics engine, and they're showing it off. Uh, but the gameplay looked really cool. It looked like you're walking around in very nicely rendered environments and mm-hmm. looking for clues. And then when you see them, there's sort of an aspect of um, is it, it's psychometry where you like you touch something and you know about it. Oh, okay. Uh, so like, yeah, you pick it up and you're like, oh, like this has a little red fleck on it and then you get a little vision that's like oh but i've seen that before over there <laughs> and then you have to figure out where in your environment you saw that and connect the things together to kind of like p- 
piece back the story of what mm. happened there. Okay. Uh, so that seems cool. Um, yeah, I'm curious about it. See how it goes. Uh, we're on, I guess, should we say we're, we're on Facebook? Yes. Uh, oh, gosh. I'm whew, totally <laughs> Facebook.com slash games these days podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, games these days podcast.tumblr.com. And, uh, uh, we are also on iTunes under Games Games These Days, as well as uh, Castbox. Yep. Uh, links to the iTunes and the uh, Castbox page should be on the Facebook page. So yes. if you head over there, check that out. Um, you know, if you feel inclined to leave us comments, uh, reviews, stars, thumbs up, all of these things are appreciated. Yeah. Um, I would actually be really interested in hearing some like like critical feedback because I, I, you know, I don't know what people think about it. Um, yeah. So that's good. Uh, spread it around to people that like things about games. Um, yeah. yeah. Let us know what you think and what we can do. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Okay. Now, do we say brother? Yes. All right. Well, until next time. Yeah. Brother. Brother. (laughs) (laughs) It's never going to light up right. No. It's okay. We can fix it in post. (laughs) Okay. Uh, All right. Brother. Brother.